Welcome to What's Eric Eating? This is the Thursday episode where I talk to someone in the food world that I think you will want to know more about. My guest this week is Sonny Bora, the chef owner of the Meat and Cheese Project and Thunderbirds, two restaurants in the Railway Heights Market Food Hall. Chef Sonny, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, how's it going? Thank you for having me, Eric. It's been a uh... It's been a long time coming, so I'm I'm happy we've been connecting lately over this uh, last few months. Yeah, no, we've been talking about this for a while. I, I mean, I remember going to to Margot's Oyster Bar in like 2019 with you, and and really like enjoying what you were doing and kind of getting excited about it. And then COVID and and everything just kind of reset all that. And uh, or or no, maybe maybe it was the fall of 2020 or something. But but anyway, we got. We got off track. You you probably should have done this uh, three years ago, but but here you are. No, absolutely. I'm I'm so happy. Like you know, basically when I'm say I'm so happy that we reconnected over these last couple of months. It's it has been a while since we've seen each other. So this is really really exciting, and I love what you're doing here with the podcast. And you know, what's funny is somebody else had mentioned it to me about this, and I was you know listening to it the whole time. But I never thought like, oh, maybe I should try to connect with you and be on it. <laughs> well, you have you. I, I mean, I will say for for both you and and for the sake of the audience, because I, I think people get a kick out of it. You have a big advocate in uh, Lenny Myers, who is fun in the city yeah. on on Instagram. She was like, you got to you got to go to meat and cheese. You got to you got to see what Chef Sunny's up to. She's a big advocate for you. So so shout out to to Lenny and and, you know, if you're. In the in the unlikely event that someone who listens to this podcast is not already following uh, Fun in the City HTX on Twitter, you, you really should. Yep. So you know when when I have people on the show, I always like to kind of start at, at the beginning of a person's career. So so tell me a little bit about how you got yourself into the world of of professional cooking. Okay, well that's that's definitely a uh, loaded question because if you know me like you do, I I kind of talk a lot, so I'm gonna have to summarize this one. Yeah, yeah. Do uh, the do the <laughs> do the four minute version. You know, don't the do the four minute, not the forty minute version, right? Um, so, you know, I always was into cooking, and that goes all the way back to when I was in high school, and I wanted to go to culinary school, but obviously. Um, as some of your followers, you know, might relate to this one, but coming up in a, uh, East Asian, uh, Indian household of sorts, uh, that's not exactly what I was supposed to do. So I went out, got a business degree, got into finance and did all these other things that, you know, basically made my parents happy because they said, no, I'm not allowed to become a chef. But then at the age of 27, 28, um, during the, uh, that big recession that happened back in 2008, 2009 era. Um, I just said, screw it. And, and I just went to culinary school. I said, you know what? I'm just going to go do what I want. So at the age of 27, I went to culinary school, got a degree. And from there, you know, it's, you know, I want to say it's been climbing the ladder, but I've always loved food. You know, I was in the kitchen. I was not, I never allowed in the kitchen with my mom, even though I was there, but I was just kind of like a, you know, just eating all the time, just trying to learn from my parents how to cook. So I, I definitely had affinity to it and, you know, I just wanted to learn. So that's kind of how it started. 
you know, and when I was in culinary school, I just kind of gave it my all because I want to say I felt like I was starting late compared to all the 18 year old kids uh, that were in there. So I knew that, you know, since I was starting late, let's say 10 years late, um, that I had to just give it everything I had. And so I didn't even work while I was in culinary school. I was just working for free, basically any stage that I could get a hold of. And, and I just tried to learn from every single mentor that would come my way. And that started back in Pasadena, California. All right. So where did you kind of work? Like, what were your, what were your formative experiences? Maybe not the first place you worked, but like, what were maybe one or two of the, the formative restaurants you worked at in Southern California that kind of put you on the path you're on now? So back when I was in California, I, the main place that I started working at was a restaurant called King's Row. So it was a gastropub in downtown uh, or old town Pasadena. And that place was owned by the same owners who own this uh, national chain called Doghouse. And so I was under their wing. There were multiple partners involved and I spent my time there. Actually, I, I got a job there as a busser or not as a busser. I'm sorry, as a uh, dishwasher because the chef at the time didn't want to hire me because I was too green and all these things. And what's funny to say is I'm allowed, I can actually say it. I literally told him that I would scrub the floors with a toothbrush because I was so tired <laughs> of everybody, you know, the truth is that everyone was, they wouldn't give me a job because I was in culinary school. I didn't have any kind of working experience besides the stages that I would do for, you know, say Wolf, Wolfgang Puck uh, catering and so forth. So I begged probably for an hour for the chef to give me a job because I was tired of hearing no. So he's like, okay, I'll just, let's see how you can dishwash. And what turned out to be as a dishwasher on day one, I actually became the sous chef of that restaurant in six months. And then I was the executive chef in a year. So I, I really grinded uh, to get to that position. And I actually spent seven years as, ex let's say six years after that, being the executive chef of that restaurant. But while I was there, you know, I was very fortunate to work for some wonderful people. They actually put me in connections with a lot of different chefs within the city. So I want to say one of the bigger names that I would get to go in and help at was uh, under uh, Providence. Um, now I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Oh, Michael. Uh... Michael Siramusti. Yeah. So I would be in and out of his kitchens, even though I never met the guy. Um, it would have been an honor <laughs> to meet him, but... You know, I was just another minion in that kitchen, but it was such an eye opener. And I also had another mentor. His name uh, was uh, Fried Zadi. He was he was a French Algerian guy, but he would take me around to his little gigs and so forth uh, because he was actually Michelin trained out of France. And so I got to see a lot of different things from a lot of different people, you know, and one of the biggest things that always mm -hmm was ingrained in my head was just the, you know, everything we do is, is about paying attention, right? When you're in the kitchen, you have to pay attention. You have to learn as much as you can. You know, there's never a right way, a wrong way. There's just the way. And, and so I spent 
seven years, uh, you know, let's say six years as an executive chef in one place. But within those six years, I was able to kind of be mobile if, if you want to put it that way. So I was always, you know, someone say, Hey, you should go check out so-and-so's restaurant. So then I'll go to so-and-so's restaurant and I would meet the chef and just say, Hey, can I stage here? And they would say, yeah, just come, you know, you obviously run a kitchen, so you know what you're doing. So yeah, I just want to learn, you know, I just want to pick your brain and whatnot. And that's exactly what I did for those six years while I was in, in Pasadena, basically. So I, I even, uh, I helped open two or three different restaurants in Pasadena. So it was kind of, like I said, I, I used those six years to just bounce around and learn as much as I could because I knew what I had was worth, you know, staying at, uh, if that makes sense. All right. So how did you make your way to Houston? So how oh, my, my wife and I actually, funny story, but my wife and I actually got into a fight over why we were not buying a house. <laughs> and, I, and then I was like, no, we need, you know, another three to five years to buy a house. And, um, you know, it's, it's a little pricey in California. So then she said, fine, if we're not buying a house, when are we going to have a child? And I said, oh, we still got another <laughs> few years for that one. And so she basically just gave me not an ultimatum, but she just basically said, then why are we in California if we're not going to be able to do the things I want to do? And I said, then maybe we should move. So we kind of, uh, uh, how do you say? She's like, okay, show me a house that you would love to live in. And so I just pulled up a ranch. Like I literally just Googled ranch in, in, in the U.S. And literally a ranch popped up and it said, buy a ranch in Texas. And she flat out said, we're moving to Texas. I said, wait, what? She said, we're moving to Texas. And so I literally then two months later, we booked flights. We came out here. We visited Austin, San Antonio, Houston. She just said, I like Houston. Let's move here. And then 30 days later, we moved. And that was it. I know you, I know, I, I don't know if, if Kieran's was your first job at Houston, but I, I know you, you made your way to Kieran's. You spent some time at Kieran's. What, what was your time at Kieran's like? Um, so I was with uh, Kieran for about a year. So it was definitely my first job when I when we moved to Houston. But what was funny about Kieran's is I, it was the only job. So before leaving L.A., it was the only job I did not apply for in through Indeed, Craigslist and everything, because I thought it was a Japanese restaurant. I know that sounds so bad, but I really thought it was a Japanese restaurant. <laughs> and I said, I have zero skills in Japanese food. I'm not going to click on this thing. And after I had exhausted everything, I finally clicked on it. And the whole time I was like, oh my gosh, this was Indian food. I had no idea it was Indian food. And so I clicked on it and um, I applied. And then the following day, I'm pretty sure you're, you're familiar with Dominic Lee. Now he has a phenomenal restaurant in, in New York. He gives me a call and he says, tell me a little bit about yourself. And I said, you know, this is who I am. I'm Indian. And he's like, you know what? You might be a good fit. When would you like to interview? And I said, I got to get on a flight, you know, in a few days. So can I meet you in a few days? And he said, yeah, absolutely. So I went, I did the interview. Obviously I got the job. And then as soon as we landed in Houston, I started at Kieran's a couple of days later, but definitely I want to say Kieran's was an eye opener because what, what I'm used to of Indian cuisine, I actually fell in love more with the cuisine because I was so happy to see that 
the caliber, the expertise that was involved in it was more than I expected because I'm so used to going to mom and pop restaurants and, you know, you get so many different, you know, just the way the food is, uh, is approached by those running it. I felt like when I was at Kieran's, I felt more at home. I felt more of, okay, this is how my mother used to cook. Okay. This is what I'm used to. And I loved the fact that we were, she, she took this humble food and elevated it in such a way that I felt like, okay, this is definitely, you know, something I can vibe with because I really didn't know what to expect. I just came to Houston and, and applied and thinking, you know, in my head, it was one thing. And then once I was in that kitchen, it was a whole different world. Right. Right. You, you have a vision of, I mean, not that she doesn't do these things, but tikka masala and, and sog paneer. And, and then you, you get there and it's tandoori lobster. You're like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is a little more, this is a little, this is a little different. This is, this is a little fancier. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I knew I was definitely in the right place at the right time. Um, I, I felt like it was, it was a sign either from the universe, God or whatnot, but I definitely fell in the right place out of all the, the positions that I was applying for. And I knew not, nothing about Houston at this time. Right. So I didn't know a single restaurant and I didn't know what the food scene was like, but I just knew that coming into that kitchen and seeing the way the menu was executed, the way the food was being prepped, I couldn't have been happier with, with the opportunity that was in front of me. So, so tell me about those first couple of years in Houston, obviously you're working at Karen's. Uh, what did you, what did you kind of learn about the city? I mean, you, it sounds like you moved here without a lot of, a lot of knowledge about what you were getting yourself into. So what did you, what did you learn in those early days? I would, you know what, when we first, it, it's been a roller coaster, right? <laughs> that I'll, I'll, I'll admit. Um, when we first moved here, we, I was blown away with the food in general, because everything that was here did not exist in, in LA. Like it, they're just two different worlds. Uh, the, what I, you know, what I can say, because I don't want to forget to say it, I loved, I loved, and I still do love the fact that I'm not the only one that seasons aggressively, if that makes sense, right? Because that is not as easy to find in LA, at least not not to me. I mean, the, the caliber of food there is different than the caliber of food and the scenes are completely different and so forth. But I love that there was an aggressive nature towards how people um, cooked, right? And so from there you know, I'll be honest that, you know, we, as a chef, we do work a lot and I'm in the kitchen almost every single day. So I want to say in the first two to three years, I actually didn't get out much. I started getting out a lot more. I think when Margo's, um, was part of the, uh, the repertoire, if I can say that right. Um, as soon as I started at Margo's and, and was at Bravery Chef Hall, I think that's when I started to get out more because I was, you know, when you hear about so many great restaurants and so many great chefs, you can only hear about it for so long, right? And so then you start to tell yourself, like, I think it's time to get out and, and see what everyone's really doing. So in the first year, the first few years I was here, I probably spent more learning about cuisines, 
you know, being at Kieran's, I was always researching Indian food when, you know, from there, when I worked with, uh, at the blind goat, when it first opened, uh, with Christine, Ha, I think I was spending a lot of time learning about Vietnamese food and going down Bel Air Boulevard to, you know, where all the restaurants are and trying different things and, and educating myself because mm -hmm. I feel like I'm a student for life. So every time I, you know, get into something new, I just want to submerse myself in it and learn everything that I can. And now, now that I'm having a little bit more fun and getting out, there are so many hidden spots in the city or, you know, how do you, how do you say there, there's just so many options that I would have never considered, I guess, you know, compared to being in, in, in LA, right. When you're in LA, you, you tend to go to a lot of the hot spots. You say, okay, there's all these great restaurants in this one area. So that's where you go. And I never made it through, I guess, the small little cracks throughout the city. But I feel like in Houston, I don't really, I don't think about how far you have to drive to go get something good. In LA, I would have thought about it. Like, ah, I don't know if I want to go all the way over there just for that. We're here in Houston. I feel like I'm ready to do that because the scene is so big. And because I like the way people cook here, I'm willing to make that drive. I think Krishma, my wife, by the way, she wanted a lemonade. This was like two weeks ago. And I started looking up lemonade and I was like, why did, whatever, she wants a lemonade, right? We drove all the way out to Katy to go to get, to get a lemonade. And to me, I'm like, that was completely worth it. Just for a lemonade. That's all we went to go get, right? Because it was actually a really good lemonade. I, I mean, I, I hope that at least afterward, you know, you got you. You like hit in and out or something, got your, your California nostalgia or whatever. You know. <laughs> we, we didn't, we didn't make it. <laughs> we didn't make it that far. <laughs> All right. So you spend about a year at Kieran's, like you, you said, you worked at the blind goat. When did you get to Margot? Because that was, I, I mean, that's when we met. And, you know, in some ways I think the restaurants at Bravery have turned over. And so it's a little bit hard to kind of keep track of the changes sometimes, but, but, but Margot is still there. And, and I, uh, an oyster bar just makes a ton of sense in an mm -hmm. environment like a food hall, I think. So, so maybe talk about your, your time with that restaurant. Yeah. So Margo's okay. So like you said, you know, bravery and in, in a lot of the food halls, it's not just about bravery chef hall and, and all that there's, you know, the leases come in, the leases end, new restaurants come in and, you know, there's a lot of coming and going uh, over over time per se, right? Not not to say it's quick turnover, but you know, a year lease is a one year lease, and a lot of people like uh, the Kokoro guys, you know, they they find ways to open up more businesses and so forth. So that's kind of how those incubators work. So when I was over with um, Christine over at the Blind Goat, I think I was there, and then what was it, December two thousand nineteen, COVID kind of started hitting the surface right and um and then the full shutdown came what around what was it february of 2020 march March, but yeah right so then it became uh you know who knows what's going to happen so i actually ended up um getting the opportunity because obviously everything was going to be shut down and so forth everything became delivery i was i had the opportunity to actually operate on my own so I kind of took that opportunity and um, 
I open up a little little Indian concept within bravery, just selling butter chicken. That's kind of all I did was just butter chicken, non, whatever I could, a couple of vegetarian options and so forth. But, you know, one man army, just whatever I can produce, I'll, I'll sell. And, you know, I was actually doing pretty well. Uh, it wasn't uh, not super great, but it wasn't bad. It was paying the bills that, that I can say. Right. And, um, what ended up happening in that back corner was, uh, I believe Atlas diner and, my former business partner at the time, she had purchased that space. And that was the space I was operating out of. And there was actually three concepts in that back corner, right? And um, there was uh, David uh, Guerrero with Andy's uh, cafe, uh, cafe, right? I was in there. And then there was Margo's Oyster Bar. And the whole time I was sitting in the middle and I would just show up every single day and, and I would see how much struggle was happening within the environment. Right. And I felt really bad because we were all, you know, on the same team that everybody is struggling and so forth. So one day I started offering help and I said, Hey, I I don't have anything to do. I just, you know, do you want me to help shuck oysters or do this? I'm, I know how to do it. I, you know, used to shuck oysters in LA for, you know, one of these random places I used to stage at. Right. So I started offering my help and, and going from there. And then, me and uh, Choey is her name. So we started talking and, and we started to see that we actually had a lot of similarities and what we were trying to accomplish. And so we sat down and talked about a lot of different things. And it was brought to me that said, hey, do we want do you want to partner together? And we open up this and we continue to open up all these other uh, concepts and food halls. And I was like, absolutely, let's do it. So together, we came together, Margo's was operating. And then um, a few months in, I kind of joined on the team. It was back in August of 2020 is when I joined on uh, because it was right after my birthday. So I joined on with, with Margo's and then we kind of went full scale at it. And, and Choey had a very distinct vision for it. And I just loved what she had, um, whatever that vision was, I was definitely vibing with it. And I said, okay, let's run with it. So we started turning the oyster bar into something a little bit more chef driven and so forth. A lot of, uh, oyster, I did a lot of oyster sourcing. I, I spent a lot of time calling different farmers, uh, throughout the East coast and, and trying to figure out how does the game work basically. Right. Because I'm so used to being from LA and we get East coast, West coast and all these other things. And here in, in, in Houston, we fall into this zone where you can't get West coast oysters. So I was trying everything and anything and everything to figure out, okay, what are, you know, how are the seasons running right now? What oysters get and so forth. So we were trying to do a lot of, a lot of upscale, um, you know, I, I don't know the word, but. We were, we were trying to give, uh, you know, an oyster bar a facelift, basically, and, and try to do something different, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I mean, I remember, I mean, I the, the thing that sticks out to me, you know, I, I went and visited it at your invitation or your publicist's invitation or, or whatever. I remember just how affordable it was. I, you know, you were doing grilled crab legs at like half the price that 
you would see it at, you know, a steakhouse or something like that. And I just, I remember like being really excited about like how affordable and, and well-sourced everything was. Absolutely. So we, <laughs> it's going to sound crazy, but I can tell everybody. So we used to sell, um, as, as you remember, yes, we used to sell the, the jumbo Alaskan king crab legs for literally like $20 a pound. It, it was such a crazy deal. So we, we actually, I, I decided to go with that route because it was more of a, you know, it was truly a lost leader. It was a special, it was just, you know, and that was part of Choi's vision in, in, in the way she was and, and both of our feelings towards family and hospitality. It was just my way of saying, I just want you to come and eat, just come eat some good food. I, I don't make anything off of this. Right. Or in reality, we make $5 off of this. That's enough to pay the one guy, you know. Right, right. We, right. we, hope, we hope that you'll come and buy something else. <laughs> yes, you know. exactly. So so basically, that's how we ran it for a while. But then as as COVID kept, you know, the, you know, those shockwaves of, of the economy and in um, the supply chain issues and so forth, we it, it became, we couldn't even sell that at $20 a pound. Uh, because we were buying it now at sixty dollars a pound, so right. it slowly worked its way off the menu. All right, I don't want to get too in the weeds in this. I I, I want to fast forward a little bit to talk about what you're doing now. Obviously, you and you and Joey opened Peaky Grinders at at Railway. You guys are not working together anymore. She's she's gone. She has kept Peaky Grinders. You have opened Meat and Cheese Project, which. I guess maybe maybe pick it up there. I mean, we don't we don't need to go in the ins and outs of why you guys aren't working together anymore. I, you know, I don't I don't know that it matters that much. But but just maybe talk about kind of making that transition from Peaky Grinders to to being on your own now with uh, Meat and Cheese Project and Thunderbirds. Absolutely. So after after we split up back in um, I want to say at the beginning of March of this year is is when we both went separate ways. We both had different visions and so forth which is natural for everybody. That's kind of how the industry goes. And um, so I decided that I wanted to stay at Railway. I loved, you know, and I, and I still love the the location. I know to a lot of people, it's, it's probably not in the best of spots with the construction and so forth. But I love, I didn't want to let go of all of the familiar faces that I've, come to know over this last, I want to say year, year and a half, because a lot of the people in that area would come to Peaky. So I said, okay, I'm just going to open up. I'm going to turn around and open up the same thing again. So I worked out a little, uh, a deal with the, the landlord over there at railway. And, um, they were happy to, to see me stay. So I basically, turned and turned around and opened up meat cheese project in, in literally like three weeks. Um, the first thing, you know, the first thing I did was got the LLC. The second thing I did was schedule an appointment for, a, you know, for that food inspection. And I, I just went at it. So it, I want to say it was a little tough at first, but now that people know that I'm still there, a lot of those familiar faces, you know, now you keep coming back because they know where to get a great burger, at least on that side of town. I know there's a lot of options, you know, within the Heights, but I would say the following that I have with uh, coming through Peaky and now at Meat Cheese, it's, you know, it is a, I don't want to say the, the food halls are a full on experience of, of sorts, 
but people know that when you come to meat cheese, it's, it's consistent. It's the same burger. Nothing's changing on you. Um, you know, no complaints kind of a thing. Well, and, and I, I, I do want to talk about that specifically, but, but also it's a lull and that has a, and that has a community um, that, that maybe isn't as well served by certainly not in the Heights with some of the other burger places. So, you know, other than, other than burger bodega, I mean, really, you know, if you, if you, if that's important to you, it's basically the two of you guys. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and that's something that a boss and I have talked about over from uh burger bodega. It's, we both use the same quality meat. Um, and for anyone listening, it's uh Creekstone farms, please use it. Don't uh, buy the rest of the stuff, but <laughs> you know, it, it when you, you know, that I want to say we both use the same meat. The only difference is, is I grind the meat. I control everything over there. Um, I've been grinding meat and doing the charcuterie stuff all the way back to, to Kings row. And, um, you know, I, I'm able to create a different experience through the burger, meaning that I change the burger blend as I see fit according to, to the, you know, to the market, you know, mm-hmm. and, and as things fluctuate, that doesn't mean I can't make a phenomenal blend from different parts. Right. Um, right now I want to say it's, uh, right now, to be honest with you, and, and I think people are going to think I'm crazy, but it is phenomenal. Uh, right now, uh, last week and into this week, now it's a, prime brisket, prime chuck, and whole butter blend. Before that, three weeks ago, it was prime short rib, prime chuck, and a whole butter blend, you, you know, basically. So I kind of throw in whatever I want to control the 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 fat to meat ratios. All right. I I mean, I have to ask, like, like sticks of butter, like in the grind? Yes, sir. <laughs> All right. What is that? What does that do for the burger? Because I've seen the like I've been to Riel and I've had a butter burger that has a pat of butter like while it's cooking, but I don't think it's in the meat. No. So what I was finding is that I want the flavor of butter, right? And I, and I know, yes, we, we can take a, take a pat of butter and put it on the burger and it does actually have a phenomenal taste, but because we're doing a smash burger and Based on the the fat content that I like to run, I need a higher fat content, but I still want the butter to exist. So if I add it into the grind, I can create a super flavorful, juicy, and crispy smash burger all at the same time. Because the amount of fat that's in there, you know, you have, uh, let's, let's take example, let's take the brisket. It is a slow render of the fat. Uh, when we add in the brisket into the blend, right? But once I a- introduce the butter, it, it's like I have two layers of fat flavor going on. One that's rendering quicker than the other. And so you have the butter that's ground into it, almost like it's frying and basting. And then you have the brisket rendering through. So the amount of, let's say, clean juice that's coming off the burger you would have to see it in person and then you'd be like, okay, now it makes sense. Right. And and we should say most burger places do not grind their meat in house in this with the same the same way that you're doing it. Absolutely not. This is a full on 
this is all based on charcuterie principles, time, temperature, the whole works. As an example, and, and I can tell you this to anyone that would love a tip, you know, we, we hear a lot about dry aged steaks and wet aged steaks and so forth. They actually make a phenomenal burger only if you can turn your product because within 48 hours, it's not a good burger anymore. <laughs> um, right. And it's, it's just, it gets too funky too fast because now all of that nice funky bacteria that existed on that outside of that steak is just, uh, it's everywhere. So your, your, your ground meat starts to age exponentially to the point it almost smells rotten. So I don't advise it to anybody, just letting you know. And then, and then talk to me about, uh, Thunderbirds, because, you know, there's a lot of hot chicken. Obviously, there's a lot of fried chicken sandwiches. There's a lot of hot chicken sandwiches. You are doing a, a Szechuan spice instead of, right? You're not doing Nashville hot chicken. You're doing Szechuan spice, Szechuan chicken. So so just talk a little bit about uh, that decision and, and why, like, why Szechuan? Why not Nashville? Okay, yeah. Um, so there was a space available at, um, at Railway and... There was a constant talk about how, you know, the place needed more vendors and so forth. And I got suckered in to saying yes, basically, but I said, I'll do it on my own terms, meaning I want to see what I want to do and so forth. Everyone kept on asking there, you know, saying that there's no chicken options and so forth. So I said, okay, you know what? I should just do hot chicken. There's nothing in this immediate area. The closest thing I think to railway, I, I think is Miko's, but I'm not, don't quote me on that. Not yeah, no, I, I, I will affirm I off the top of my head. I think that's, I think that's roughly correct. Right. And Miko's is phenomenal. And so, but in my head, I was like, man, I don't want to do the same thing. And so I started doing a little research and the Sichuan hot chicken started popping up and I was like, what the heck is this stuff? I was like, okay, here we go. And, <laughs> you know, because the chefs go down a rabbit hole of like, you know, how can we change something and, you know, try to make it better and so forth or, you know, make something unique. And so I started doing a little bit of research on that. And I saw that there was a phenomenal place out in LA called Daybirds. And I was like, okay. So then I started calling everyone I knew in LA. Have you heard of Daybird? Have you heard of Daybird? And every single person said, oh my gosh, it's probably some of the best hot chicken ever. I was like, compare it to, you know, all these other places in LA. And people said, well, you can't compare. It's its own thing, but it is still phenomenal. I said, okay. So then I started looking it up here in Houston and there is one place that has it um, off of Bel Air, but I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting the name, but there is one place. So I'm not going to sit here and claim that I'm the only one doing it, but uh, there yeah, is one first, place. Let me, I'll tell you, having, having written about food for a long time, first and only are very dangerous words. Yes. It, it's, <laughs> it's, you got like, but I mean, there's a lot of people making smash burgers and you're making a smash burger. So being one of a handful of people making Sichuan spicy chicken is not a problem necessarily. Yeah. So, and, and I was like, okay, this is very interesting. And I just kind of left that, you know, idea in my head because the truth is, is, you know, Krishna and I, we love, we love going to eat Sichuan food and she fell in love with it. This was right after uh, we moved from Katie down here to the Heights area. So, Back in early, what are we in 2023? Early 2022. So some, I want to say in the beginning of last year. 
she wanted to go eat and she picked this place and we went, she just said, I wanted a hot pot. So we went and we picked this place and we actually were blown away. Right. And from then on, we just always go, we always go get Sichuan style food because we love that spicy zinginess of Sichuan peppercorns. And then with all the side sauces and there's so much garlic and ginger and scallions and it's just a phenomenal experience. So then I just kept the, I left it in my head, just kind of marinating. Right. And then Chris was actually the one that just kind of edged me over, you know, she just pushed me over the edge and said, just do it. And I was like, okay, let's do it. So I started messing around trying different recipes and then we started going out to eat more. And I knew that whatever I was going to do with it, I wanted to be as close to authentic in flavor, at least to say, because I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not a, a, I know Indian food, but I'm not going to sit here and say, I know Sichuan cuisine, you know, like the back of my hand, but I knew what I loved about going out to the other restaurants. So that was one thing. So we went ahead, we put it together and I needed Christmas blessing before it was allowed to launch. And as long as she said that it was on point, then it was on point. And then we opened same at the end of March. By the end of March, I was open with that one as well. All right. So we're, we're running long and I, and I don't, I, I, I did have a couple of things I want to talk to you about, but, but just, you know, now that you're out on your own, how's it going at railway? Cause, cause you know, again, like there's been a lot of, you know, I think, I think maybe uh, David Guerrero's place is the Alma is the only one that's left from the opening vendors. And, and, you know, there's been a lot of turnover and, and management changes behind the scenes and everything else. So, how, how's rail, how's railway going? I mean, do you, do you feel like your, your long-term future is there or, or do you think like, I like these restaurants and, and maybe I need to, to find them their own, their own home somewhere else? Absolutely. So with, I want to say with the food halls, it's, it's an ever-changing environment that that is the truth. Everything is changing every few months. Um, I want to say with railway, it's definitely not the same like it used to be in the beginning. Um, and right now it is a little slow, but it's not the end of the world. Um, I do, you know, I want to say with the concepts that I have, I do decently well. I would like to do a little bit better, but the, I would say there are challenges with the overall area. Um, railway still, you know, it has some signage up, but it's not a lot. You know, that construction right there off of Hempstead is, is killer. Um, you know, sometimes they close it down and then you can't even get to, you know, railway. So it definitely has challenges. Um, but that, but I will say I am looking outside of the box per se. We, you know, we started looking about, um, around, I want to say over the last couple of months, trying to see what else, uh, we could do within the city and so forth. I don't know. I I'm not going to sit here and say that whatever I have there is closing anytime soon. I'm just going to let it run its course. But in the meantime, I'm definitely reaching out to other chefs and, and trying to do collaborations and so forth and just trying to see how to continue to either grow the brand um, or start a new brand, if that makes sense. And then, you know, I, I, I Googled you, of course, you know, that's my, my, that's my, that's how I prepare <laughs> for these, these shows. And your, your sister is very famous. I, I don't, I don't, I, I just feel like I should be very direct about this. An actress named Sonny Leone. And, and I, I, I know that I know that name, but I, I like, I couldn't tell you kind of 
her resume or anything, but but let me let me just ask you, what's it like being the brother of a very famous sister? It is um I'm trying to say this in the right way. I would say it's it is amazing. Um and and I'll say that for to in in a different way, I guess, right? It's only amazing is because I'm very proud of her. Um, I'm very proud of what she has become, the amount of hard work that's gone into it. She, I want to say she's definitely an inspiration to me that, you know, you, it, when you kind of put everything you got into something, you can be successful at it, right? So do we talk a lot? No, I mean, I want to say my sister and I, we talk maybe once every few weeks and so forth. Um, I don't, I don't want to say I, I live in her shadow of any sort, but what I can say is that, you know, with everything she's done, I definitely look up to her as a mentor. And, you know, I think that's the most important thing. Well, let me just say my sisters are uh, a preschool teacher and a doctor, and I only talk (laughs) to them every few weeks too. So I, I think relatively speaking, you're doing just fine. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. All right. That brings me to. This week's intern question, intern Abby, do you have a question for Chef Sonny? Yes. So going back to when you were growing up, you talked a lot about how you were influenced by your parents in the kitchen. So when they would let you in the kitchen, what do you think the biggest lesson you were taught was about cooking and food? And do you find yourself applying that lesson to what you're doing now? Oh boy, that you just, that's like opening a can of worms. Okay. Um, let me think. So don't, okay. This is going to be a very odd answer, but don't listen to your parents. Just pay attention because what they say is one thing, but what they do is a different thing. Right. And so I, I think that, you know, when you learn to cook without the recipe and and you start trusting your instinct and remember the smells, the tastes, and what you see, you'll actually get further, if that makes sense, right? Because you'll see me do this. You see this, Abby? This is what you get. This is what Indian parents would say, put this much. I don't know what this means. And every Indian will relate to me right now. This doesn't mean anything. So you have to just kind of watch. And and um, and that's what I got to do. Other than that, I wasn't allowed to touch anything. I was just allowed to stand there. So that's an important lesson. I feel like that's applicable to all types of food, Indian or otherwise. Well, Chef Sunny, this has been a lot of fun. Usually I would say, do you have anything else you want to talk about? But we have run so long uh, that I am just going to say it's time to play the lightning round. Okay. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Oh, boy. Chef Sunny Vora, what is your favorite ingredient? garlic what is the first band you ever saw in concert the doobie brothers who is your favorite la sports figure past or present oh man kobe bryant what is your fast food guilty pleasure it has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru oh geez a big mac from mcdonald's (laughs) And finally, what is the last TV show you binge watched? Uh, well, as you probably know, like a lot of us uh, food industry people, we're we're watching The Bear. 
Yeah, no, that's yeah. a good. That, it's a good answer. We we did a whole we just did a whole <laughs> show about the bear on Tuesday, so that's uh, very well timed. Yeah, uh, Chef Sonny, how can how can people keep track of uh, what you've got going on? Uh, give us the the social media and the websites for for yourself and for uh, Meat and Cheese Project and Thunderbirds. All right, so you can follow us at uh, Meat Cheese HTX or Thunderbirds HTX. Those are the two going on right now. And then stay tuned there because we do have a different project that we're working on. So you'll, you might see a few highlights through one of them. Jeff Sunday, this was really great. Thanks for doing this. Awesome. Thank you for having me. That does it for this week's show. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.